Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, we're talking about multicultural church. We have some incredible churches in Fellowship Pacific that are truly multicultural and diverse, but they didn't become that way by accident. It took intention and commitment. So in this episode, Mike Mahorder sat down to talk with pastors from three of those churches, Josh Byes from Kingdom Life Community Church, Mark Bueller from Faith Fellowship Baptist Church, and Don Schuling from Richmond Baptist Church. You'll get to hear them talk about what it takes to be intentionally diverse as a church and why it actually does matter that we do so. So let's get to it. Here's Mike's conversation with Josh Byes, Mark Bueller, and Don Schuling. Welcome to the Propel podcast. As uh, education, transportation, communication technology have shrunk the globe, our world has become more and more interconnected. Um, Take your phone, for instance. More than 200 companies around the world manufacture and supply the components that make up my phone. Um, making the chips, the glass screen, the case, the camera, and all the stuff under the hood. And these companies are located in South Korea, China, Taiwan, Germany, Japan, India, the U.S., as well as other countries. And um, these components then are assembled in China and the Czech Republic and Malaysia and Thailand and South Korea, among others. And that's just your phone. The same kind of multicultural globalization is happening in our population as well. Although some communities in BC may be less international than others, in many of our towns and cities, it's not uncommon to hear several languages being spoken, to see many other evidences that the world is here. Businesses, social and entertainment centers, schools and neighborhoods are being transformed. But how does this affect the church? How do we work to fulfill the great commission to take to make disciples of all nations when those nations are all around us? How do we navigate the different languages and cultures and experiences and values and customs in a way that actually works in real life and demonstrates the kind of unity Jesus wants for us? Today, we're joined by three fellowship pastors who are involved in multicultural ministries. Josh Byes is lead pastor of Kingdom Life Community Church in Langley. Mark Bueller is cross-cultural pastor of Faith Fellowship in Vancouver. And Don Schuling is lead pastor of Richmond Baptist in Richmond. Thank you, guys, for being willing to come on and, and, uh, and share your wisdom and experience with us today. Um, why don't we start by just having you <clears throat> briefly introduce yourselves and your churches, and let's do them in the order in which I introduced you, Josh, and then Mark, and then Don. Uh, my name is Josh Byes. I am the lead pastor of Kingdom Life Community Church. Um, when we met in person, <laughs> we met in Langley, uh, BC, but as of yet, we're still uh, trying to figure that piece out. The building that we met in has been sold, so we're in that process right now, so we're very a very virtual church still at this very moment. So I'm Mark Bueller, and I'm glad to be with you today. For 20 years, we served um, with Africa Inland Mission in Kenya at Rift Valley Academy, involved in education and community development, 
My wife and I returned to Vancouver in 2011 and have worked at Faith Fellowship Baptist Church under the direction of uh, Jack Taylor as their multicultural pastor. All right, thank you, and Don. I'm Don Chuling. I am lead pastor at Richmond Baptist Church. Um, we um, have a variety of ethnicities um, in, in our church. Um, Pre-pandemic, we had uh, a variety. Our biggest growing group was actually Brazilian. We have Filipino, um, Japanese, uh, Central America, Honduras. So we have a big variety of, of ethnicities in, in our congregation. Okay. And, and what about the other two? Mark, what's faith like? Um, we have a circle of nations celebration once a year and the last time i mean some of the representatives are only one or two but we had close to 60 different um cultures represented wow okay and josh yeah i figured somebody asked that question i try to do a quick mathematical equation in my head we're not actually a, a very large church um compared to to you know our vancouver brothers and our richmond brothers out there but uh but I, yeah, probably just on a quick, we're, we've got about 30 different nations right now. Um, anywhere from, you know, multiple African nations, multiple South American nations, Sri Lanka, um, India, Pakistan. Um, yeah, go, go, go down the line. You'll find them probably. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's incredible. Thank you. So uh, my next question for you is, did your church start out as multicultural um, or did it kind of evolve into that, change into being a, a, a multicultural? And if it, and if it was the latter, um, how did that happen? Mark, do you want to begin that? Okay. Um, well, our church just celebrated its 64th anniversary. And in the early days, it was primarily a monocultural church in a monocultural neighborhood. But over time, there was declining numbers of Caucasians and it was shriveling up and dying. So after an Outreach Canada consultation in 96, it was decided that we would partner with um, El Redentor as a sister church, a Spanish speaking church. And then there was an intentional decision by Pastor Doug Harris, that we would become an active multicultural church seeking to disciple people to make disciples from all over the world. And Jack Taylor was called as a part of that visioning. And um, so a daycare was started for young families and um, immigrants, a refugee ministry, ESL, food bank, uh, Circle of Nations, is, which I mentioned, is kind of central to that, where we celebrate the nations um, as all being created under God. We have lots of meals. We have flags from different countries, shared music and scripture in people's heart languages. Okay. All right. Thank you. Don, what about Richmond Baptist? It had shifted uh, a number of years ago before I was around. Brad Crossley led them through that process. There were a couple of 
uh, other cultural churches meeting in, in the building and uh, he made the decision, the church made the decision to, to bring them together. And, um, and so that happened a number of years ago, very intentional. And then everyone who's followed after him is just kind of built on that foundation that was started then. Okay. All right. Thank you. And Josh, yours is the newest congregation. Uh, so tell us about yours. Yeah, I think maybe it would help for me. I know this isn't exactly answering that question, but it would help for me to say that as a, as a church, Kingdom Life Community Church, what we see ourselves as is a diverse congregation. We wouldn't necessarily classify ourselves as multicultural just because, um, you know, a lot of times people walk into a, a church that might have a number of ethnicities and say it's multicultural, but in practice uh, and in everything else, they're actually not multicultural. It's, it's, it's just, um, so for us, we, we're looking for diversity um, because we, we ask ourselves, okay, are we able to minister to a diverse group of people in diverse ways? So if you hear me using the word diversity, that's kind of our catchword as opposed to multiculturalism, um, just because, uh, for example, um, one of the, the, the gentlemen at our church is from Rwanda, but came to Canada as a refugee and was raised uh, in a Christian Reformed high school. And him and I, a Dutch Christian Reformed community in, a, in high school, and him and I actually culturally are very similar. <laughs> um, whereas many people that, that came from there, we have a, a gentleman who came from Germany, we're very different. So we're looking at diversity uh, at, at our church and saying we need to, we, we really want diversity because that is, that's what we're looking for. We, as a church, our story is, as we started is, is quite, I don't know, it's miraculous is the best way to say it. But yes, we did for the most part start uh, diverse. Uh, the challenge we've had is, what does that look like moving forward and how do you maintain that diversity? So yes, the shorter answer is we started uh, diverse, um, but uh, we had to do some work to make it remain so. Okay, all right. And we'll probably unpack that just a little bit more as we, as we go through this, but what do you guys see as some of the major advantages of having a multicultural or diverse congregation? Don, why don't you yeah, so, kick that so, so for us, I think what we see um, it is just a complete, a welcoming environment that no matter where you're from, who you are, what your background is, there's a, there's a place here for you. And, and you see people who look similar to you, who, who feel free and warm and, and welcome. And so, I think that that diversity of of look and then that diversity of hey we're mostly we're all immigrants we're coming in and we just want to meet you where where you are I I think that's really helped us as as a church um, open those doors broaden our perspective of of reaching into different uh, ethnicities so it's it's been a real positive to have that um the difference in all of that the diversity okay thank you what about you josh yeah there's never a dull moment if you do it this way uh and it and it challenges you daily um and i think that's really good i think the greatest advantage is this challenge to 
what is so what is truly Christian and what is tied to everything else. Uh, and I think when you're in a diverse congregation, you're constantly challenged to really rethink what is it that is biblical and what is biblical plus something else? What is Christianity and what is Christianity plus something else? And when you get a diverse group of people together, you really start to have to challenge some of your, what a priori assumptions, as they would say, and some of the ways that you were raised or some of the ways that you think God uh, works. Uh, and so I think that for me is, is really the greatest blessing of being a part of a diverse group of people. It's constantly challenging you to go back to the word, to go back to those things and ask yourself, these principles that I'm standing on, are they essential to Christian faith or are they things that I've been dragging along with me for a long time? Um, so for me, that, that, that's, that's one of the really most incredible reasons I love being a part of a church like this. Okay. All right. Thank you. What about you, Mark? Well, I'm not a historian, but I think many Canadian North American churches kind of adopted a fortress mentality as the culture changed rapidly around them. Um, a fairly recent Christianity Today article says that many are still in, they suffer with that. So that makes can make monocultural churches essentially irrelevant in their neighborhoods because their neighborhoods are so diverse. So with a missional multicultural approach, it forces us to engage outside our walls in order for our congregation to reflect the demographics of our local neighborhood. Having members from the major national nationalities surrounding us also allows us to minister in culturally relevant ways within the different cultural silos and can be viewed as a valuable part of our neighborhood, no longer irrelevant. Okay, all right, thank you. My, uh, my very first church was um, uh, in, uh, in Markham, Ontario, a suburb of Toronto. Or not, I'm sorry, it's not a suburb of Toronto, it's a distinct municipality, but it's uh, neighboring. And, uh, and that church was, was about half West Indian. And there were many other cultures as well, but, uh, but the two dominant were, were Caucasian and West Indian. And I know I, my kids were young at that time, and it was just an amazing experience for me as a dad to be able to be part of something like that. It was something that I'd never experienced before. I'd grown up in a, in a, in a pretty... Um, Lily White community in Central Michigan, and uh, so I was uh, I was uh, a, a recent immigrant myself to Canada, and uh, and and just to be able to be part of that was so cool to see my kids grow up and uh, in that kind of an environment. Uh, you know, one of the one of the principles of the church growth movement was the homogeneous principle, which basically says people tend to be attracted to people like them. And, uh, and that people tend to come to faith in places or in environments where they have to cross the fewest number of cultural obstacles. And, uh, and, and although that's been a very controversial principle in the, in the church growth movement, it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be, um, uh, advocating for monoculturalism as much as just observing this as as a fact. But your churches have 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 chosen specifically, and in the case of 
of, uh, of Richmond to, to, to kind of go away from independent language-based um, cultural meetings. So my, my question to you is why, why do you choose an integrated multicultural congregation as opposed to having separate congregations that can minister in their own culture and language? Josh, you wanna kick this one off? Sure, I think maybe one piece of this puzzle that's not maybe clear enough in all of this is that I didn't necessarily choose this. So if, if we're being clear about like this pathway, I think there are some things that we do very intentionally and I think that there are some things that we're called to and we don't have a choice but to do. And so I think, you know, for me, the, the night that I became a Christian, the night that I became a follower of Jesus Christ, the same night God gave me a vision. And I know that makes some people uncomfortable, but I was in Denver, Colorado. He told me I was going to go to Canada and I was going to pastor a multicultural church. So if that's the case and if that's what God called and I moved from Colorado to Canada and that's where I am and he called me to pastor it, then the reality is, is that's not so much this intentional choice as it is an obedient reality of saying, because I do speak English, this is the way that I'm going to pastor. So that's one piece of this thing. The other piece of it is the, um, the reality that most people, um, regardless of where they have come from, have some uh, understanding of English. And we understand also our limitations. So we have staffing limitations. We have financial limitations. We have, like I said, our own speaking limitations. And so through all of that, you come to, this is what we can do. This is what we're able to do well. And this is what God has called us to do. And we trust that if this is what he's called us to do and the way he's called us to do it, then this is the way that we need to do it, which means that I don't diminish others for making a different choice. I embrace what God has called me to do and what God has called our church to do, because that's the role he has for us in his kingdom. That being said, by choosing to do this, we call everybody into the same space and challenge each other then to get to know each other, to get to be, become more flexible with one another. And then we make an intentional choice to put different languages in our worship we make an intentional choice to encourage people to pray uh, in, in, in the language that they feel uh, most comfortable in. And as a pastor, we have a number of people who will sit with a spouse and one really understands English well and one doesn't so much or they'll bring a group of people from another uh, from someplace else. And so as a pastor, I have to be intentional and in going as I'm preaching, I can watch them interpret for them. And so sometimes I have to slow down and I would see the moment of like recognition in the faces of the others or the nod. And I go, okay, all right, now we can keep going. So some of that, I think helped by, you know, ministering in Africa, that helps some to think, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a process people have to go to. I'm a fast talker. So I have to slow down a little bit in these settings for sure. So that, I think that's maybe, the, that was a very long answer to some of it's intentional uh, and some of it's obedience. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Mark, what about uh, at faith? I just want to say that's great to hear what Josh has to say. That's really encouraging. I think there's kind of two touchstones that we, scriptural basis that we've thought about. And one is Revelation 7, 9, 
where it says, after that, I looked and there before me was a great multitude. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. So that's the reality in heaven. And then the Lord's prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if that's what's happening in heaven, we would love to, as it were, get a taste of heaven on earth now by having all these cultures. And also one of the keys of, of testimony from John 17 is that we might have unity. And so, as is mentioned, it's not always easy, but it is exciting. And we've not arrived, but there's times where we get these little glimpses of what it's going to be like for heaven in heaven. And they're, they're all worth it. All right, thank and, you, Mark. And, and we're, we're very much like that as well. There are times I'm on Sunday morning, I look out over the congregation when we can be in person. It's like, this is what heaven's going to look like. <laughs> and that's exciting. And we don't have a, you know, South American contingency that sits in a corner in and, and heaven. And, and we're here, we're together. And this call to unity and and how do we how do we build a worship style and a loving God style that is inclusive? And so so for us, we really talk about the value of building relationship um, and 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 knowing that there there are a ton of things that draw us together. Um, and we can learn from each other in, in so many ways. Um, so I totally get, you know, when Josh is saying, you know, it's God's call. It definitely is God's call. It's God's call for us as a church. And it makes it exciting. Yes, it makes it difficult because we do have these different perspectives about what the Bible says. But so many times we add our North American Canadian culture or the or whatever mm -hmm. culture we grew up in. And it's like, I'm learning that there's a lot of things that we've thrown in that we think, well, this is the way it is, and it's not. And so it actually, for us, has broken down some of those barriers that other people have put in place. And, it, and it's opened opportunities um, because we're a, a multicultural setting um, where people see, oh, it doesn't have to look the way I thought it did in my head. Um, so it breaks down some of those barriers um, to reach into those people's lives. All right. Thank you. Um, what are some challenges that you've experienced in leading multicultural, in leading multiple cultures in your church? Don, why don't you kick this one off? I just said when we all come with our own baggage and we see right. how it looks. And so there's that struggle there, especially um, the newer the immigrants are, the, the less they have seen what's, what's going on. So um, they bring in, if, if they come from a different church setting, they bring their, their national church setting here. And um, 
and they kind of look for that kind that same idea and so um, there's there's theological differences and and a lot of people who come into Richmond Baptist are saying I don't want to be part of you know, a Brazilian church or a Japanese church, or a, I want to be a part of a Canadian church, become part of all of this. But then there's the struggle because they have their perspectives. Um, the other struggle is just gaining leadership when people feel strong enough in a second, in an English second language kind of setting. Um, that That's another a, a struggle we have of, of getting people to say, hey, I can lead. Um, so we really push the idea, you don't need to be perfect. You don't have it all together. We're, we're in this together kind of idea. Um, there, there's a ton more. I'll let these guys share some of theirs too. <laughs> all right, Mark, what about you? Well, I taught a lot of courses about African cultures and contemporary issues when I was there. And I think every culture brings these imprints of God's creation on them, whether it's hospitality or gentleness or all those things. But also every culture has been affected by the fall. So there are things about every culture, ours included or foremost, that need that are in need of redeeming. So different cultures have different food and different um, customs and clothing, but those are kind of only the soft signs in some ways. Those are things that we can adjust to, but they've got varied, varied methods of conflict resolution, uh, church governance, honor and shame, that are under the surface, but impact their worldview, even as Christians. And then if they're coming from, if they're converted from Islam, they're bringing things that they don't even know they're bringing that are reflective of their parents or of the surrounding culture that they had. And as Josh said, it's, it's a challenge, but it's exciting to say, which of these things is biblical as opposed to cultural? And if I can just mention a couple things there, it broke my heart being in Kenya for 20 years every time we had a multi-party -part election. And there would be ethnic riots and cleansing and all this stuff happening. And I would sit and talk with people and say, why do you hate this other tribe? Well, I don't know. My father did, my grandfather did. Well, go back and ask him why he hates. And, and then there was this time, I think it was, oh, early 2000s, where I was convinced in the people that I was talking to said they were not gonna vote by the tribe. We're going to vote by the man. But it all just blew up again. And so somehow we have to have this third culture, this new creation culture that is Christian. It's not German. It's not Burundian. We bring those things to celebrate God's handiwork, but we are 
and unique, peculiar people. And that's got to be our first loyalty rather than our blood and our tribe. Okay, great. Thank you. Josh, what about you? What are some challenges you've, you've shared a little bit, but uh, maybe unpack that a bit? I think the biggest thing, like I'll just say this right now, if you don't want to learn, then you can't do diverse church. Like if you're not willing to learn how to communicate with people the way that they know how to communicate, it ain't going to work. Uh, <clears throat> but I think the biggest thing, if we, if we go back to that homogeneous principle, which I never heard before, just so you know, I guess I'm an uneducated, what I don't know, but I never heard of this principle before. I, I'm fairly certain it's not super Christian. My dog's going to start barking right now. Um, but I, I think there is a piece of it that's very good and something that helps us. And, there's, and then there's the piece of it that's very hard. And I actually find the hardest part of doing diverse church is actually fighting against that homogeneous principle. It, it's, it's convincing people that they actually need to grow up and not just have church the way they like it, not have the music they like or that everybody else has. It can't just be this. What if what, if what we need to do is show that Jesus did in fact create all of these people, that, that, that the, this diverse creation started with a diverse God. And so there isn't really one CCM style of worship. There's not one way to do things, but there's multiple ways that God speaks to people, multiple ways that he moves in people. Some people may dance in worship. Some people may not. Some people may pray out loud. Some people may not. What if being at church or being a part, and, and this is the other piece of it is, the reason we do only English on Sundays is because Sunday isn't the, the penultimate event of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's an everyday thing. So that's just one moment. But what if we're calling you to grow up in such a way that you don't just get what you want, but instead as a church, we do what would help more people know who Jesus is. So if we decide that in our, our worship, we're not just going to do Hillsong and Elevation worship because we actually believe that somebody could walk in this door and hear an African song and go, hey, like, there's a reflection of me here, meaning that Jesus is for me too. What if somebody came in the door and they hear uh, a song sung in Spanish and they go, oh, like, they see me. This group of people sees me. They, and, the, and, and I, I have a part in Jesus too. And so they, there's a lot of talk a lot of times about unity right and we have to be really careful about that word because unity so quickly turns into uniformity so we're, we're united as a church around a diverse god which means that we might pray a little bit different from one another we may worship a little different from one another and that's okay there's some core principles so there's some core biblical truths that we all hold to but we're don't we're not homogeneous as a people we look very different from each other. We speak different. We pray different. So we champion, champion unity, but not uniformity. And that's what happens a lot of times, even in what we call, quote unquote, multicultural churches that I was in before, which had many ethnicities, but was monocultural in its worship and its leadership and in all those other things. So it was you had to conform to this new norm, whereas what we're trying to say is there are things that you drag with us, and I think Mark was talking about, you drag with you from your culture that don't abide in the culture of, of, of kingdom culture. But there are many things that fit within kingdom culture that you just may be uncomfortable with. And what I'm asking you to do as a pastor is to grow up enough 
to be comfortable with it enough that it might allow someone else to know who Jesus is, that it might give someone else a space to belong because they recognize them. And so we're asking everybody in our congregation to be a little uncomfortable, to grow up. It's, it's a maturing thing, I think. So for us, like for me, that's the challenge. The challenge is, can you stop going to church just because you like the worship style and the lights and the way it's preached and the languages we sing in and instead go because God called you there and because we're trying to build a diverse family that reflects a diverse God. I think that for me is the biggest challenge. Okay. All right. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what multiculturalism looks like at the ground level in your church? How is it impacting your staffing, your leadership, uh, your, your Sunday service, and, and the things that happen between Sundays? Josh, you uh, already have given us a little bit of that, so why don't you just carry on from what you were saying? Yeah, so we are very intentional, but you got to be careful, right? Like you can't, like, listen, we're only going to and I looked at our, 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 our deacons and we don't have enough of this. You can't do that. You still do have to bring the people in that God has called into your church and into your leadership. Um, but if you're going to say, hey, we want to be a diverse congregation, but we're only going to be led by one type of person, it's not going to work. I do believe you have to be very intentional about your leadership. For example, at our church, um, I'm the only Caucasian pastor. Um, and, and so we have three pastors. I'm the only Caucasian pastor. Um, one pastor is from Jamaica and as a woman, another pastor is African-American from Flint, Michigan. Um, interesting enough, we're all immigrants. We have four elders at our church. So we're not very big. They're all immigrants as well. Cause I'm an immigrant, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, that's part of that concept too. Um, we have two female elders, two male elders. If you look at our deacon board, for example, when we were praying through who to have at one point we did say to each other if we're talking about diversity it can't just be cultural diversity what about age like we got deacons here at you know and and, and they're mostly in this 30 40 should we have some people who have followed jesus and are in their 20s should we be looking at diversity on very many different levels and so we are intentional about it and we do check it we do look around and go are we being intentional when we set our church up, which came out of total carnage, but God did a miracle, like I said. Um, and we looked around at the group of people who were putting together, none of us were from the same place. We, we had India, uh, Jamaica, Canada, you know, the U.S. Um, I, I could go through it. I'd have to go through it all over again and think of all the same people that were there. But it was from the very beginning, it was that way. And so that's the thing we have fought to keep. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about some more of the challenges to it maybe at some point, but it, it is challenging because it really takes away, uh, you're much less efficient. Let's just put it that way. If you're going to go this route and you're going to bring in people from a lot of different places with a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different cultural things into one place, and you're going to try to do one thing together, it's going to be much less efficient. It's going to take much longer to get some things done and some conversations are going to take a lot more time because you're going to have to respect where people are coming from. 
you know, that's why I think multicultural churches, they're, they're probably going to be the long, like the, the slowest burn. It's going to take a while to grow because you have to learn so much and be willing to learn so much uh, in this process. If I brought in a bunch of people that thought like me and worked like me, we could build a church much faster. But I don't know that it would have as much value as what we have in this process, ongoing process. So I, I would kind of, it, it's a balancing act. It's a challenge and a blessing, but it's certainly not efficient. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of uh, talking about efficiency of hearing a missionary talk one time about the fact that, um, that uh, now they can fly um, to remote areas on their field uh, in in a matter of hours, where before it took them uh, a few days in a canoe with with some nationals, uh, and so they're much more efficient. But they're not having those days with the nationals in the canoe that they had before. So um, it, it is definitely a matter of perspective. Don, what is uh, what does this look like at the on the ground at Richmond? So yeah, we're we're, we're kind of the same. Who God brings is who God brings, and how we use them. On our staff, uh, we've got two uh, Caucasian. Um, our associate uh, is from Nepal. Uh, I've got a couple of Brazilians on as well. So we we want to be, um, you know, reflective of that diversity. Um, very open on the on the board again, trying to have. I, I'm with Josh, not just cultural diversity, but but age, gender, all of the all of that stuff. Um, so to have that that kind of mindset is is important, even in the the things that we offer in ministries. Uh, one thing that I think is easy is as a th that you struggle against is as a leader, you tend to fall back into connecting with people in your culture. And so all of a sudden you'll have a ministry that has, you know, one big culture involved in that ministry where, so we purposely try and make sure that there's a mix of, of, of those cultural diversities in, in there as well. Um, so it is, it's, it's a mindset, definitely a mindset that, that we keep in mind, um, we do do uh, translation, simultaneous translation, so people can hear things in their own, especially um, the message in their own language. Um, but we keep trying to build a, a connection of, of culture. So we think about that in, in everything that we do. It is one of our core values. Yeah. I've also heard songs sung at your church in uh, yep. or at least verses of a song in, yep. in a language that one of the worship team members yep. is, is, speaks. So yeah. yeah, and we try and get people up front who are, you know, younger, what, whatever, that, you know, to yeah, that whole idea is it's not just this ethnicity up, up there, but of a, a variety on, on any given Sunday. Yep. Okay. All right. Mark, what does uh, multiculturalism look like on the ground at Faith? Well, I'll speak to the leadership part again. Um, when I came back, even though I'd been in Africa, I was in a pretty monocultural community there, Kikuyu speaking. Um, 
so I tried to learn as much as I could. And Pastor Jack has been very creative. I mean, currently on our, our leadership team, we have several from Korea, one from Niger, one from Iran, the US, Taiwan, Canada, though a couple of us are displaced Kenyans. Um, our daycare ads, China, Latin America, Fiji, uh, former director or founder of that was from Pakistan. But as Don says, it, it should affect, and it does affect our ministries. So our ministries are refugee ministry and international book clubs and uh, English study clubs and tutoring. And we've also tried to be really intentional about getting to know people in our community. So I know people from the mosque. I know people from the Gurdwara. I consider them my friends. And when I was doing small group teaching, I included them. Rather than talking about Islam, I had an imam come and we had a debate, or not a debate, a discussion about the tenets of Christianity as opposed to the tenets of, of Islam. So I think that that um, our multicultural or diversity should be reflective in our, um, our ministries as well. Okay. This is fantastic. Thank you guys for the, for the sharing here. One, of the, one question I, I had for you is that, is there a tendency in a multicultural church for one culture to become dominant? Um, I think what brought this to my mind, as I mentioned in my first church, it was, it was roughly half West Indian and, uh, and half everybody else, um, mostly, mostly uh, uh, Caucasian. Um, but, um, and, and I, I, I enjoyed that. I worked in that. I realized afterwards how ignorant I was throughout that whole process and how, you know, insensitive I probably was at some times even though I was, I, I tried to always be respectful, but my successor in that church became very concerned that it, that, that one culture was beginning to dominate and it became, it became something that they were, uh, became a strategic point for them to try to keep uh, one of the, one of the cultures from becoming dominant. So I, I guess, have, have you had any kind of experience with that? Um, and, um, and, and if so, how do you maintain cultural balance or should you even try? Would one of you like to volunteer to kick this one off? I'll, I'll, I'll take a run at that. For, for us at Richmond, um, when I came, it was largely Filipino. Uh, we had a, a lot of other cultures, but the largest group was Filipino, and then the next one was uh, Japanese. We did have um, some Brazilians, Portuguese-speaking people, um, but it was pretty dominated by F Filipino, although we, the talk was we want to be multicultural. Uh, um, then God started blessing us with a lot of Brazilians coming in. And it's a, there were words from like, well, the Brazilians are going to take over. 
<laughs> and not in a fearful way, it just God's really blessed that. And and to integrate those them into and a lot of it is the mindset of the people who are who become the natural leaders and, and how to integrate them into uh, those leadership roles within the church um, so that you don't start looking like, oh, all of a sudden we just have everybody from Brazil is now leading worship or everybody from the Philippines is leading worship. And that's why the, the purpose, the being purposeful and having a mix in front all the time, a mix on the board, uh, a mix in in who's serving in areas. So to purposely make sure that one culture doesn't just, you know, inadvertently take over because that's not really what they desire, um, but is human tendency. And I think Josh was saying it earlier of, of we're trying to grow a mindset of embracing the difference rather than making us all look the same. And, and that's what we're, we're trying to do. How, the, how do the difference become unifying without conforming? And so there is a mindset that we, we need to have. Um, and we talk about in public settings a lot as well, just to remind people, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. Okay, all right, thank you. Mark, what about at Faith? Well, I think both of these gentlemen have really hit it. I mean, Josh just basically saying culture is the outward appearance, but it needs to be Christ in us as the inward reality. Um, our main language is also English and sometimes translated into Korean and Persian, sometimes Spanish. So we're not accessible to groups of people who do not um, speak English. Though interestingly enough, a number of them come and they still attend because they're in Canada and they want to learn English. Um, and I think going back to just kind of keeping an eye on things to make sure that our worship teams, that our board, that all of these things are um, are mixed. And we really try to stress that when we have our church meals. Don't just all sit together. Sit with someone else. Um, get to know other people. So I think that's all I have to add to the, the discussion. Okay. All right. Thank you. What about you, Josh? I could spend hours on this specific part about this. I think that to answer the question directly is it absolutely matters. And it is absolutely, um, it, it's essential for the church to be healthy, that you work hard not to make one cultural identity your norm. Uh, and uh, that comes for us as a church comes from experience. Many of us came from a church that was very uh, multicultural in its attendance. Um, but monocultural in its leadership, its worship, uh, and in all of those other spaces. And the problem with that is it one culture begins to emerge as the best culture, which we should know quite well, 
from the North American perspective, we should understand how dangerous that is across the world, um, that somehow Jesus is now blonde-haired, blue-eyed, um, you know, representation across the world should tell us enough about how dangerous it is to let one cultural interpretation of God lead the way. Um, and so it is important for you to be intentional and to be honest and to be accountable. So you have to build leadership that has that diversity, and then you have to be willing to be accountable to them. When they say things like, hey, this really looks like this, and we're going down this road. So if I have a, a, a female Jamaican pastor, I need to be willing to listen to what she's saying. And if I have, uh, you know, my worship leader is also Pastor Little John, who is our pastor operations and all these other things. There's lots of stuff where it's about 18 hats. But I thank God for each of them, because without them, we would ultimately steer by default to experience or whatever it may be uh, from myself. So the one thing I think that we are kind of danced around, but it's the, it, the greatest medium to, to engage across culture is music. It just is because rhythm and beat and all those other things can cross many barriers that words cannot. So for us as a congregation, one of the things that we do to keep ourselves from falling into that trap is we do things like if you came to our worship set First of all, we built a, like we do a choir and not worship teams as much um, because we're trying to say, OK, we want the congregation to worship. And I'm part of the choir. You know, I just walk up and I get on the little risers as well. I mean, I probably make the choir worse, but it's 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 one of these things where if we do worship, it's not just it's not just the same rhythms. It's not just the same beats. It's not just the kind of music we well, you, you, you would hear soca. Uh, you would hear, you know, you would hear these things that if somebody walked into a place, it would speak to something deeper, even if they didn't understand all the words or the language. And so I think one of the ways, and I'm just being <laughs> really honest, like the greatest way that we become monocultural right now in the church is worship. Like, like the sound is very similar. Um, and, and, and that presentation of music can very quickly become, this is the best music. This is the best, without ever saying anything like that, we, we can say that quite quickly. I'm grateful to have someone that will fight against their own cultural tendencies to bring in all these different styles of worship and all the extra work it takes. Like I get it, the, the sound that we typically have in churches, I understand we have volunteers, it's very hard to change that sound to learn all these different music styles, but it's worth it. I think it speaks across so many borders. So I think if you allow it to go into the, the, the biggest issue is if you allow it to become singularly culturally ran, but you have a number of diverse kinds of people in your church, there does begin to be this kind of ranking of whose voice matters. Um, and it becomes very evident whose voice is most important. And unfortunately, that begins to replace the voice of God. But if the spirit of God, the same spirit is given to all of us when we come to know Christ, then we have to find a way to respect the spirit of God in every person from wherever they're from. And when we become monocultural, we say, yeah, but we got a little bit better of the spirit of God. And I know that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but um it's true i mean even with our kids they don't get our kids don't get the seven-year-old like if a seven-year-old comes to christ they don't get the seven-year-old spirit of god 
they get the same one. So we've got to figure out how to respect that across these boundaries that we have. So. All right. So one of the ironies about this podcast today is here we are four white guys talking about leading multicultural churches. And uh, um, I, so I, let me just throw this out there is, are there some advantages to our ethnicity and what are some challenges in leading a multicultural church? So actually, um, Don Richmond Baptist, when they were looking for a lead pastor, um, I actually said, why are you even considering me? I'm white. <laughs> and and their, their mindset at that time was because we don't want to become a monocultural church. If we bring in a Chinese pastor, we will tend to be a Chinese church if we bring in a whatever ethnicity. So they actually were looking for a Caucasian um, person just because they felt that would um, broaden the potential scope. So I was actually quite surprised at, at that answer. Um, but I think it has helped in that because we're in Canada, because we have this mindset, especially in the lower mainland of, of we need to be open to be inclusive. I think I, at least I come with this mindset of um, I'm totally open to, to who God's bringing, who's out there, what do we need to do? Um, so I think part of it is the cultural awareness that we've been cultivating long before I was here of being inclusive of our diverse look in the lower mainland for sure. All right, Josh, what are your thoughts on that? I wish this was on video because I don't think I'm as white as you guys, but um, <laughs> I, I can't change who I am. Um, this is who God created me to be. This is who God knit me together in my mother's womb as. I'm. This is who I am. And I'm also the person that he called um, to pastor this church. And so in that regard, I don't know it's, if it's as complicated as all of the other stuff. I just know that this is the congregation that God has called me to pastor. So the rest of it on many levels, uh, frankly, is irrelevant. However, if I want to be the pastor of this church and God has called us to be a diverse congregation, then I have to acknowledge that given other people's history, given people's desire to know Jesus, but the barriers that have been put in front of them, that just being who I am could conceivably be threatening or uncomfortable for some people from different places, because what I represent could be um, some some difficult stuff for them to go through. But when I, as, as a Caucasian male, link arms then with my associate pastor, Carol, who is a woman and of Jamaican descent, then all of a sudden, for those who might find me maybe a, a little bit threatening but could identify with her, I become a little bit safer by myself. And we go, well, we got to get, people just got to get over their stuff. No, no, no. There's a healing process to that. And maybe that's part of what this is. Maybe part of diverse church is helping us heal from the things that we've gone through at the hands of other people. So then when she links arms with Pastor Littlejohn, who's 
you know, an African-American man from Flint, Michigan, then we begin, sorry about that, to reflect maybe some safe places for people that in, on one level may not have connected with Pastor Little John or Pastor Carol or myself, given their own experiences or the things that they've gone through, but because we're connected, we're just safe enough to maybe get into that door. Now we're reflecting more fully a diverse God, and we're saying that there's a reflection of Jesus in you, and we as a church believe that that reflection of God in you is just as important as that reflection of God in me. And then over time, we heal and build these bridges that were not there before. So I can't, I don't know why God chose me to do this, but he does. Then my responsibility to say, given who I am, I don't need to, I, I can either tell everybody to accept me for who I am or get out, or I can say, then it's my job to figure out how we can work harder to make Jesus more accessible to more people and start removing some of the barriers that people like me put in place in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Uh, and it's, it's, it's strange on many levels, but I didn't pick the path. And that's the part where we go back to that whole thing between intentionality and obedience. So I'm obediently leading this church as its pastor, but I'm intentionally then accepting that role and saying, how do I help, you know, break down some of these barriers and build bridges uh, so more people come to know who Jesus Christ is in his fullness? Great. Yeah, thank you. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? Well, they say culture is the water we swim in, and we all have our ethnocentrism and our biases, and they're not just a Caucasian thing. You know, there is, I mean, it says the enemy seeks to divide and to destroy, and there are these cultural problems with, with every culture. Um, I think it really, we, we have to maintain a spirit, a of a learner and be humble so that there's enough trust that if I make a cultural blunder, which I do, <laughs> there's enough trust that they can say, okay, yeah, he loves me. It, it's okay. And I go back and I ask for forgiveness. Um, so in some ways it doesn't matter that we're Caucasian, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The example that I've just experienced is we thought it would be good to write little notes of condolences to the survivors of the situation in Kamloops. So we have this big poster with all sorts of notes. Some of the people that wrote them are First Nations. And I didn't have 250 orange ribbons outside. So I was talking to somebody from a Mohawk background, and she said, you know, you need to have 250 ribbons or just take them down, 215. And so I said, oh, okay, well, thanks you for letting me know, and maybe I guess that's what I do because I don't have enough ribbon. Her next test text was, I'm sorry. That was kind of a bossy, and it wasn't a very spiritual response. But that's born out of relationship where we have grown 
to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, so I think there are, I think a lot of people, as Don mentioned, are coming to a church, not just because it reflects their ethnicity, but they want community and they want unity and love regardless of their ethnicity. So it isn't easy, but if we can try to provide a little bit of that, then God will bring those that, that um, want to be there. All right, great, thank you. One last question as we wrap this up. Um, how can a monocultural congregation become multicultural? Don, why don't you start us off on that? So the first two words that went through my mind were intentional and perseverance. Have to do it intentionally to reach beyond the barriers we put up with reaching out to other people and to persevere because I think, Josh, it's going to be a long haul. It, it is going to be a long haul because we do come in with all this mindset and our own way of seeing and our own cultures. And it takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of patience. And just when the roadblocks get in the way or the barriers come up or you do mess up, you know, you, you're, you're trying to do the right thing. And then it's like, I, I came in with a good heart and it just went sideways you know, being patient with yourself, with the people around, humbling yourself, saying, I come in as a learner, not as a leader all the time, but as a learner to lead, um, to persevere and keep moving forward and and laugh at yourself. <laughs> Just laugh at yourself. It's like, okay, I thought that was good. That was horrible. And, and just keep moving forward. All right. Mark, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, you have to learn a lot. I think you need to visit others and other multicultural churches and understand what you're getting into. I think you need to, like the first couple of years, at least a year when I came back, I just walked the streets of Vancouver so that I could understand communities and how to engage and things like that. And then take people with you so that they learn and they break down some of these um, generalizations and those things. I remember teaching people about AIDS and there were all these statistics, there was all this stuff. But when I brought in somebody to class who was suffering with HIV, it was no longer about all the statistics. It was about Mary. And it changed the perceptions. And so building relationships, building a critical mass, teach, 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 teach your leadership, your board, your people, invite other individuals from other com um, cultures to come and visit, highlight ministries led by other cultural groups, um, 
I take people on trips to the Gudwara and we sit down across from the head priest there. Or I take them to the mosque and we sit and have um, chai with the imam. So there's all sorts of different things. When we had a, a refugee ministry, these people became part of our community. So all those things kind of prime the pump, so to speak, to be able to make the shift from a monocultural to considering multicultural. A lot of it is the opposition is based on fear and a lack of understanding. So if we help people to build relationships, cross-cultural, then we see people as brothers and sisters, not just as a different ethnicity. Okay. All right. Thank you. Josh? Completely uh, appreciate everything you guys have said uh, throughout this time. Um, and I'll add a couple more, but there's one that we just didn't touch on, and it's fairly basically the most important part. Uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You're going to have to pray. I mean, if this is what God wants for your church, then you should really pray. Um, how are we going to make a diverse congregation if we're going to just follow the steps that someone else did? Like that, and it's very then all you're doing is trying to recreate something. That's that's not how this works. You do have to be, like it's been said, you have to be very humble. You have to you have to foster tough conversations uh, because if you don't, then you'll never really know the truth. And you will have like there are many like there are so many cultures just simply because you are a pastor who will do what you say and everything will be surface and all of this stuff underneath will never come to pass and you will never know that you are continually offending people and they're going home that way because there is not enough humility in it. But, um, and then, and finally you got to put your money where your mouth is. Let's just face it. Like, so like for us as a church, we have standing 20% of our budget right off the top. Doesn't matter. It can't be compromised. None of that goes to other church ministries, goes to outreach and to missions and 10%, like 10% of it, it just on its own is committed to outreach and mission. And it says that other people, other things are important. Uh, we want to bring uh, kingdom culture to life in diverse communities through diverse community. That's our call. And so if you're going to say that's what we want to do, then you're going to have to put your resources. You're going to have to put your time towards it. You're going to have to build your, uh, your, you know, whatever your small group structure is, whatever your discipleship structure is, you have to build it around this idea that we have a diverse God and we want to see the beauty and the fullness of that diversity in his people come to life. Um, and so, hey, all of this stuff, ifs and buts and candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. You have to start with prayer. I don't care what anybody else says. It take all of these other steps we've talked about, all the other things we've done, you can throw them out the window if you don't start with prayer. Because anything that you obtain without God and without, outside of his will, you have to maintain without God and outside of his will. And it's going to be a long and difficult journey. So pray and let God lead you through the process. But do it humbly uh, and have hard conversations. All right. Great. Thank you, guys. So there you have it.
Um, if you want your church to reflect more the diversity that, um, that heaven is going to be, uh, you've got to want it. You've got to pray hard for it. You've got to get over yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. Be willing to humbly apologize when you screw up culturally. Um, be willing to have those tough conversations and, um, and put your money where your mouth is. I like that. Yeah, as, as was said earlier, the Apostle John in Revelation shows us that heaven's just going to be more multicultural than we could ever imagine. And it, it, it comes back to our Lord. Um, in, in Revelation 5, he talks about the people around the throne singing to Jesus, um, saying that he is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because he was slain and with his blood had purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then later, as Mark was sharing earlier, um, the passage where uh, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Wouldn't it be great if we did see a little bit of that heaven here on earth? Thank you again for coming. Thank you guys for taking your time and sharing your um, experience and your insights and your wisdom with us. And uh, bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to serve you and support you in any way that we can. For a full list of all the resources we have available and to get in contact with us, visit our website at www.febpacific.ca.